Hello race fans and welcome to another edition of the Uncontrolled Tire. I'm your host Brian Donati along with Matteo Marcheschi and tonight we're talking NASCAR and Las Vegas. Hello and uh, welcome to another episode of the Uncontrolled Tire podcast. We're back from uh, watching all the racing at Vegas. We saw Harvick absolutely annihilate the field. Which wasn't really a surprise coming out of Atlanta, but again, another dominating performance. Yeah, I thought you were going to say we're coming back from Vegas. I was going to say, man, I wish we were really at Vegas. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a fun uh, weekend, but it's a little far. Just a little bit. Closer for you than it is for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's like four hours for me, I think, by plane, something like that. Yeah, it's a six-hour flight from here on the East Coast, but I tell you what, to go out to Vegas and watch that and watch the domination, as you said, you know, that, that Kevin Harvick put on them again two weeks in a row, it would be worth going out there and doing that. That is for definite sure. Yeah, I mean, if, you're wa- if you want to watch somebody just drive like, I'm not sure I've ever seen somebody drive, maybe the most dominant performance since Truex in the 600 a couple of years ago. I mean, that's the closest comparison i can come up with no absolutely you're, you're totally correct on that uh that, you know from, from the 600 there but leading 390 some laps you know over the last two races you know is just just dominating i mean Stuart haas racing and kevin harvick and i think kevin harvick said it best at the end of the uh, race there in victory lane that you know this stuff goes back from the end of last year right they they picked up on something at the end of the year on their mile and a half programs and they have just moved that right into 2018 and they have not lost a step yeah i think people forget they only uh won two races last season and never i think it was uh Texas and Sonoma. I know second Texas they won in the playoffs, but uh, most of the season they were pretty quiet, and then they made that run to make it into the Final Four, and they clearly hit on something. Absolutely. No, totally agree with you there. They, they, they found something that, that they didn't let anybody else know about, and when they got to the mile and a half towards the end of the year and even in the playoffs, and even I really thought at Homestead that you know, he'd be do something a little bit more than, than what he did, obviously trying to run Truex down, but that team has found something, and so far they're showing it already this year, so we'll see what happens after we finish the West Coast swing um, you know, in the next couple of weeks you know, to determine whether or not this team really has it on the mile, you know, mile and a half. Yeah, I think the West Coast swing, I think we're going to see a lot of the same on this West Coast swing. I don't think teams are really going to be able to find much more, considering they're not going to spend as much time in the shop. So I think what they have is what they have, and clearly Harvick has something nobody else does. Yeah, I mean, with the dominance, you know, winning the last two races again, as we talked about, you know, Atlanta and now Vegas, and now we're going to a track that, Kevin Harvick has dominated over the last couple of years, so what's not to say this guy doesn't go three in a row? But, you know, talking about as much dominance as he has, he only leads the points by three over Joey Logano and four over Ryan Blaney. Now, you take in there the Austin Dillon win, that propels him up into second place, but if you were to look at a standard point section, you know, that they have, he doesn't have a big lead. Yeah, I think part of that is due to... uh those other guys running just behind him pretty much in his domination but also his 
Daytona wreck. I know he tore up a car there, and I'm sure that has set him back. But if he had fi- at least finished Daytona, I think we'd be already talking about a 15 or 20 point lead. Yeah, I mean, he finished 31st at Daytona, and then Joey Logano finished, you know, fourth um, there. So, you know, that kind of looks, a bit, you know, has a little bit of that. And then Ryan Blaney led quite a bit and got a playoff point there. So, yeah, I can see where the three and the four, but man, after the last two performances of domination that he has done and that team has done, um, to only be leading the points by so few is, is, is very hard to believe. Yeah, but I think uh, his playoff point lead is bigger than his actual point lead. I know he has like something like 13 playoff points from yeah. uh, two-stage victories, or uh, three-stage victories, and two wins. Yeah, he has 13-stage playoff points, and uh, Austin Dillon only has five right now, and he's the closest one. Yeah, and nobody else, nobody else has any, uh, as far as I know. Yeah, no, they don't have any. Um, well, they do have playoff points if you win... You know, a stage, you get a playoff point um, in there, but, you know... Oh, Kozlowski has one. Yeah, Kozlowski has one, and then, uh, like I said, Austin Dillon has five, but still, you know, know, the next thing we talk about is, is he this year's Martin Truex last year? Martin Truex had 79 bonus points, or playoff points, towards the end of the year, which propelled him to get into that final four. So to have 13 points already in three races is huge, and I think that, you know... The, the mindset of that team at Stuart Haas has just kind of looked at that and said, you know what, playoff points are bigger, you know, this year than what we thought. Now, last year they kind of struggled a little bit at the beginning, like you said, only having two wins all year. But that was a, you know, they're switching manufacturers at the beginning of last year, so that made a huge difference there too. Yeah, and that's, I know we're going to talk about this later as well. That's what puzzles me about Jimmy Johnson's struggles. People always say that they're going to turn the switch on. They're going to flip the switch and dominate it when it comes playoff time. But that's not the system now. The system is you also want to do well in that regular season, so you put yourself ahead for the playoffs. Yeah, no, you got to get to the playoffs, right? Exactly. And if your struggles continue <laughs> and you're not, you're outside that 16, you know, the average, you know, race winners during the course of a season, I think, has been anywhere from 12 to 13 different winners. So they usually get the last three and on points. But, you know, again, you've got to get there. And like you said, we'll, we'll talk about Jimmy Johnson and some of his struggles along with the whole entire Hendrick organization um, later on in the show. But, you know, again, the just the, you know, the whole domination of not just Kevin Harvick, but Ford itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, we see uh, we see Keselowski and Blaney and Logano. I mean, they finished 5th, 6th, 7th, Blaney, Keselowski, Logano. Um, this week, they finished up front at Atlanta. I mean, you saw the whole Stuart Haas organization really run up front, and I think they all finished in the top 10 last week. Just those Fords have been astonishing so far yeah i mean and you know and it, it takes us to our next segment here you know folks it is the lack of the field movement i mean we have seen the same 10 drivers you know over the last again throw out daytona right you got to start somewhere so throw out daytona because when you get into those play races anything can happen but you throw Atlanta and you throw Vegas, and then we'll find out here in, in Phoenix this week is whether or not it's the same 10 guys. But it's the same 10 guys earning additional points. 
you know, onto their totals. And I think what you're seeing there is the gap in points after, you know, after the first 10, because they're the same guys, there's a, there's a big despair, you know, a big gap. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had uh, all but two of the uh, stage point earners finished inside the top 10. We had all the guys that scored points in stage one also scored points in stage two. So we had uh, all of the top seven scored points in both stages and finished top seven. And then the only two guys that were outside of that uh, trend were Chase Elliott and Kurt Busch, who were involved in that wreck uh, at right after the uh, end of stage two, I believe. Yeah, and and like I said, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the points, you know, after Las Vegas, and you know, the first ten places. I mean, tenth place is Austin Dillon again. Throw out the fact that he's already won a race, and so he's already guaranteed a spot up in there. Um, unless we have 15 other winners that win two, which I don't think we'll see that. Um, he's already pretty much a, a full race out of the top spot. So there's a huge, you know, break uh, between that where, where it goes down. I mean, you've got guys, you know, Chase Elliott, again, 83 points out of the lead. You know, so it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal. You know, you you gotta you gotta continue to keep going, and you gotta continue to keep getting those stage points. That's showing you how big getting into that you know top ten at the end of every stage is helping those points. Uh, you know, jump jump all the way up there. Yeah, and I think I mean you see Elliot with his uh, problems. I think he scored a decent amount of stage points, but he also wrecked out of two races. He wrecked out at Daytona, and then wrecked out uh, here with Kurt Busch, but. He and uh, Bush have both wrecked out of uh, both of those races, so they're yeah. behind the eight ball early, certainly. Absolutely. I mean, you know, basically you're going into a race and you're getting eight state, you know, you're getting two points for finishing eighth after stage one, and you're getting one point or two points for uh, finishing ninth after stage two, and you're only getting eight total points. You know, that's not. That, that's not doing you any favors there. You, you've got to pick it up, and I think that, you know, we're going to talk about Hendrick in a little bit, and when we talk a little bit about Phoenix, you're going to see that I think this team's going to gel a little bit more and, and get through this and, and, you know, pick up some additional points. Yeah, I mean, I to be honest, personally, I have a little bit higher hopes for Kurt Busch, at least in this segment of the season. He's been running up front. His luck hasn't been with him, but he's been... I mean, you saw at Atlanta, he led a good chunk of laps, and uh, he was running really well at Fe or at uh, Vegas until he got involved in that wreck. But I feel like him, he'll follow the success of Harvick and the other Fords as we progress in this uh, early part of the season. Absolutely. I think the whole Stuart Haas organization, I think, is a much better organization right now. You can see the smiles in victory lane, especially after Vegas with Tony Stewart. You know, and I think he said it best is that, you know, yes, this team is, you know, this, you know, this season is still young, but the whole team itself with the, you know, the addition of Amarola and, and you know, Kurt Busch is, you know, running very well. And then Harvick, obviously, you know, is doing running really well. That whole team is starting to gel as a whole. You know, Clint Boyer is even running well on uh, during qualifyings and the first half of the race. I mean, he had an issue, you know, at Vegas, but overall, that whole entire team is is running well. 
Yeah, and I think the best example of that is Eric Almirola. I mean, he finished, I think he ended up 10th this week. He ended up, I believe it was 13th at Atlanta, and he almost won the 500. That's uh, that's two, I believe, two top 10s, at least one top 10 uh, for that team that they probably wouldn't have gotten last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Totally agree with you. I mean, that, that team is, you know, when can you say the last time, and, and I know that people joke about this and you hear all the fans, when was the last time you can say that the, you know, the 10 car has finished in 13th and in 10th the last two races? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure, but <laughs> not recently, that's for sure. No, totally agree with you on that. I, you know, again, overall, I think that what's happening is is the teams that are doing very well the last couple of weeks are teams that found something at the end of 2017 within their programs, namely the Fords. Right? They didn't make a manufacturer change uh, in the cars. Um, you know, Chevrolet did, um, which you know we talk about. You know, with the Hendrick struggles and some of the other. You know, guys, other than maybe Kyle Larson is the only one that I think has seemed to have figured it out. Um, Martin Truex and the Toyotas have been fast every week, right? They had the glitch during uh, qualifying. They didn't get to qualify last week in Atlanta. Um, he started up front this week, um, started fourth, finished fourth. So he didn't gain anything, but he didn't lose anything either. So, you know, I think that team itself still has to... Uh, do a little bit better on the pit stops. You know, I know we talk about, uh, you know, the, the pit guns and, and everything else. And, you know, Steve O'Donnell from NASCAR has actually come out and said, listen, you know what? We had failures last year. And we've had failures with pit guns the year before that. The reason it wasn't such a big deal in the media was because of the fact that, you know, this is something that NASCAR has mandated these teams use, and that's why it's a bigger deal. So... Yeah, I think they are sensationalizing it a little bit since it was a storyline coming in. It's new pit guns. They're not. They might not be as high quality as the ones teams develop, but really, is there much of a difference in performance? Probably not as much as it looks like. Yeah, I think the media is making more out of this with the pit guns. Um, you know, for each of the teams. Again, you know, they had a few more this weekend. Um, but I think it's more the media than anything else that is making some about, you know, making more of a, you know, uh, this a bigger topic than it really is. Um, you know, as I just alluded to, Steve O'Donnell said it best when he said, look, pit guns have always failed. The only problem is, is those teams were the ones designing them and, and doing, you know, little odds and ends. Um, and now this is the more media making a bigger issue out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that, Truex and that team is not it was isn't going to make a big deal about their own guns failing because that's essentially their fault but they're if it's somebody else's guns they have something somebody to blame it on so they're going to make a deal out of it and say NASCAR fix your stuff fix your uh fix your pit guns give us better uh equipment if you're going to uh if you're going to mandate it, give us something that we can work with here. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to go to break now, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the uh, Hendrick struggles and discuss Kevin Harvick's uh, interesting deal with his uh, roof and his uh, back window. 
So come back and uh, see what we have to say there. Are you looking to road race but not sure your car qualifies for SCCA? Come to the Washington, D.C. region of the Sports Club Car of America and try bracket racing. That's right, set your times and race against other drivers within that same bracket. So come on out to Summit Point Raceway in Summit Point, West Virginia and look for your checkered flag. And welcome back, race fans. We are uh, we're back with the second part. That took a, took a little while. Is it Tuesday yet? Yeah, might as well be. Yeah, it might as well be <laughs> the Phoenix race weekend. I was just say, are, are, aren't we supposed to be getting on a flight going ahead to Phoenix? Phoenix? <laughs> yeah, it took, it, it took a few minutes uh, in that cut. There was about probably uh, 30 minutes of trying to figure out all the technical jumble of doing a podcast. Well, there's nothing like doing a podcast and being able to laugh at yourself, especially if you're doing a motorsports podcast like we are doing. It's always great to be able to laugh at yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. That is for sure. I know uh, one team that's not probably laughing right now is Hendrick Motorsports. No, they are not. I mean, we got uh, Elliot, who was doing pretty well. He scored at least a couple stage points, and then proceeded to get wiped off the map by Kurt Busch. Uh, and that clearly, a lot of people are saying that's intentional. I mean, you heard Kurt Busch's interview. He was basically like, yeah, it stepped out. I was going at 90%, and it stepped out. And uh, there really clearly wasn't anything he could do about it, but he didn't really also complete the slide. He sort of uh, got and pushed out, but I think if he wouldn't have been there, he would have just slid out, back and would have slid out, and he'd have hit the wall, and it would have been clearly a uh, slide. So, Brian? Yeah, yeah, no, I I clearly agree with you. I think if you look, if you watch the video, the video shows where the back end kind of started to come around. He jerked it back to the right. When he jerked it back to the right, he lost the whole front end, and then basically Chase Elliott had nowhere to go. Had Chase been, you know ahead of him or even behind him i think you would have seen just a one car accident i would think you would have seen kurt bush at the front end of the car into the wall would he been able to continue i don't know i probably you know i doubt it because he would have hit that thing almost square um in the nose on the wall there so would have been a little tough but you know again wrong place wrong time for chase elliott and it doesn't do any good for that team like you said that team is really kind of struggling a little bit um, with him being the only one out of four drivers earning stage points, um, you know it's, it's they've got to get something going and they got to get it going quick. And this week probably could be a little bit of an advantage. You know, uh, Alex Bowman has run there and run well. Um, he drove the 88, sat on the pole, and almost won that race. Um, you know, two years ago. So, you know, we'll have to see see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, his run at phoenix in 2016 he did do pretty well but you also think about those other uh, races when he was subbing for junior he was running pretty well i think and then th- so far this year he has been eh, i mean he finished 16th uh this past week at vegas but i really don't not seeing the same speed out of that 88 team as i was in 2016 when bowman was subbing yeah, well, you know, we talked about this last week, you know, 
um, you know, regarding with Atlanta. You know, listen, they're still trying to get these new Chevrolets, you know, figured out. I mean, there's some bugs. Plus, if you look at it, they're a pretty young team. They're one of the youngest that's out there, you know, as far as the big four um, that we have. Um, again, Alex Bowman's still trying to get, you know, his feet underneath him. He only ran a handful of races there, you know, subbing in for Dale Jr. Um, I know he's run some other cup races, you know, back when. I think he did some with BK Racing and some other folks. But, again, just not in the top quality equipment. William Byron, brand new. Hasn't been in a cup car until he got to Daytona. So he's still learning it out, and I think that team is still trying to understand exactly what's going on. Um, wow, let's talk Jimmy Johnson here for a couple of minutes. You know, the older statesman of that whole entire group has had nothing but problem after problem after problem for the first three weeks. Yeah, I mean, he had his uh, little adventure in uh, inspection. He had his uh, three failures and uh, got his car chief ejected, which pushed him to the rear and then people were like you think about Johnson starting from the rear a lot of the time that can put him in a position to win one way or another um I know he won I think two of his three wins were uh from the rear last year he seems to always be able to perform starting back there but this time was far different I mean he fell down a lap before the first stage ended and uh, he was never really able to uh, recover until near the end of the race when he ended up 12th. Yeah, I mean, 33 laps in, you know, he's a lap down. And I think at one point in time, he went down two laps, almost went down three laps, um, you know, during that time frame. But, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe he's got, maybe his rear window was actually correct. Right, so that's why he yeah. failed inspection three times. No, that's for the next hey, subject. We'll know. get to that one. But um, you know, I, again, I, that team just seems to be struggling more and more every week as they go. Right, you know, you, they, in da- the week of Daytona, they wrecked what three cars? Yeah, they like that. wrecked one last week in Atlanta. Now, didn't wreck one this week, but just couldn't get it through inspection. Like you said, failed three times on you know, the morning, you know, of the race on Sunday, loses his car chief for three races, has to start in the back, just never could really get it going. So I'm not sure if it's a, the car, a manufacturer, or is it the team itself? Something else is there a little differently that's not going. You know, Jimmy Johnson has said, you know, hey, listen, we're okay. It's not an issue. Chad Canal says the same thing, right? They're not panicking um, too much. I think Mr. H is panicking a little bit for his teams, I mean, because they are just not doing well at all. Yeah, I mean, you can look at the 48 team as its own thing, and so maybe you panic a little, you start to think about some changes you might make, but you look at those four cars as a whole, that really starts to worry you, because that becomes more like a trend rather than just a little bit of a down couple of races yeah i mean could it be that jimmy johnson and and even chad canals right so is is jimmy johnson having to spend more time with the youngsters with alex bowman william byron and and even chase elliott a little bit even though chase is um on his third year now is 
is he having to spend more time either in the garage or outside of that um, getting involved in their team meetings to talk about the tracks and the driving and and everything else and trying to give tips and not really paying attention to you know Chad Knauss and his team and you know the car itself coming in on you know during practice and race day I mean that's a question I mean that that that's that's a true question that, that anybody could probably ask Jimmy Johnson, and I would really love to hear what that answer would be. Yeah, and I think not only that, but also not being able to get as solid of uh, feedback from his teammates. I mean, you got Bowman and Byron, and really Elliot as well, who aren't as experienced. They can't give as solid, uh, easily interpreted feedback as a veteran like Dale Jr. or Jeff Gordon could have given. I think that's uh, that could certainly be a contributor to the struggles that Johnson has seen. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% correct there. I mean, you know, Alex Bowman only been in a handful of races throughout his career um, in good equipment. He's been in the Cup Series for several of years, um, you know, basically took the hiatus for the last two years based off because, you know, couldn't find sponsorship, couldn't get with the right team, and was able to come in with that Hendrick. But, you know, again, William Byron, uh, no experience at all. Chase Elliott, very little, but but has enough. And and so is Jimmy John. That's the question. That's the question of the week, guys. Is Jimmy Johnson spending more time teaching them, the younger drivers within the Hendrick organization, how to drive the track and what to look for and what not to look for going through? Is that causing the struggles? Who knows? I think we'll find out here in Vegas or in uh, Phoenix next week, and then we'll find out in Fontana the following week. Yeah, I mean, you think about Johnson, and then you come back to the whole Hendrick organization, and really, I think who could be the most worrying of everybody is William Byron. He hasn't finished on the lead lap yet this season. In three races, he wrecked at Daytona and had pretty mediocre runs at uh, Atlanta and at Vegas. He finished 18th at Atlanta. Uh, I believe that was two laps down. Um, And then he finished 27th at Las Vegas. And it's just not what you expect to see out of the Hendrick organization, no matter who is driving that car. I mean, that's the former five team. And you saw Casey Kane. He was able to bring that car to at least top 20 finishes if he didn't lead laps or whatever. He could at least bring it home top 20 most of the time. Yeah, there's there's definitely something going on there. And again, you know, from a William Byron perspective, I would just chalk that up from a lack of experience and trying to understand these cars. Because, you know, keep in mind, the, the Cup cars and the Xfinity cars are so different. You can't bring uh, experience from an Xfinity car and throw it right into a Cup car. Now, you can do the opposite. So you can take a Cup car, which is going to handle completely different than an Xfinity car, and you'll be able to handle that Xfinity car a little bit better, right? But I don't think you can bring an Xfinity car in a cu- into a cup car and expect the same results. So I think it's going to take some time um, for William Byron. I think as we get through the second half of the season, after he's already been to those tracks, and you know some of the tests, they, they still do have some tests, some Goodyear tire tests, that I would assume that he would be the one participating 
um, in those for the Hendrick organization just to give him more seat time. Uh, I think you'll see, a, you know, a much better uh, finish and, and, and qualifyings and, and, you know, just overall better weekends. Yeah, and speaking of experience and seat time, I'm kind of surprised that uh, Byron didn't get at least a part-time seat in a junior motorsports car or something. All he's getting is cup time. He's not getting any time to learn the tracks or sort of relearn them. He's just getting the cup seat time, which sort of surprises me. I mean, you think about Daniel Suarez, who is or was in much of the same situation, having no cup starts until he showed up uh, after Edwards retired for the Daytona 500 uh, in 2017, and he was able to uh, score two top ten finishes, two seventh-place finishes, at Phoenix and Fontana uh, near the beginning of year, the year like we're entering now. So I think if Byron doesn't get at least improvement at Phoenix and Fontana, it, you might start to worry about it a little bit. Yeah, I think that, you know, then the question becomes, did they did they bring him up too quick? Should they let him have another year in the Xfinity series? Um, and again, all that revolved around Casey Kane's, you know, contract and what he was doing. I think Hendrick organization was looking to make a change, even though he's still with, uh, you know, the, the Hendrick umbrella, as you may say, with, with Levon family racing, because um, they get all their support from Hendrick. So they had to move him. Um, a little bit, you know, again, the question is, did they bring him up too quick? Um, at first glance, my answer was probably yes. Now at Daytona, a lot of those were not his fault. He just kind of rode around and just happened to be in positions where, you know, there was nothing else he could do or get out of it, um, for those. Um, but I think with Atlanta and in uh, Vegas, I, I think it's just a learning experience. Now when we get, you know, back after we get to, uh, Phoenix and then Fontana and then I think after that you end up with uh, Martinsville you have the short track and then you know then it's I think it's you know there may be a week off there for Easter and, and I don't have the schedule in front of me so you know don't quote me on these you know on these dates but then you know you've got short tracks so see what he does there before we start getting back into the mile and a half before we go back to Charlotte um, and at that point let's see where he's at then yeah I think you finish the West Coast swing, you might see a little bit of improvement, but uh, then you get to Martinsville, where we've never really, to my uh, recollection, seen rookies do very well, at least not at their first or even their second or third visit to, uh, to Martinsville. I mean, I believe Chase Elliott made his cup debut in that 25 car, uh, that would have been in 2015, and he beat in the nose and ended up finishing like three laps down. So I don't think you can expect a ton from the younger guys at those short tracks, especially Martinsville. Yeah, you know, when they go to Richmond, I'm going to be interested to see what happens when they get to Richmond, because that's kind of really, you know, other than Martinsville, um, anything can happen there in Martinsville. At least at Richmond, you have to drive that racetrack. Again, I will be there for that racetrack. Um, I'll be there that whole entire weekend. Um, so I'm going to pay attention, you know, some of my key points to pay attention during that weekend um, as well. You know, that's coming up in April. But it will be, you know, as we talked about earlier, how much of the four dominations are still intact from this, you know, last couple of weeks? 
Um, you know, where is Hendrick Motorsports as an organization? Have they gotten better between now and the time they get to Richmond? And William Byron and even Alex Bowman, how have they been able to, you know, overcome, you know, the poor finishes that they've had, um, you know, as well as Jimmy Johnson? So pretty much, you know, the entire, you know, really Chevy you know, even RCR, I know we don't have that on our list tonight, but even RCR kind of came back a little bit this past week, but, you know, still struggles uh, across the board with Chevrolet entirely. So that'll be something that we'll have to look into. And, you know, we, we, we something's got to be done some way, somehow, or these Chevrolet teams are just going to be, you know, behind the eight ball going in, going in as we get towards the end of the season. Yeah, I think if you compare this to Toyota, uh, last year, I mean, I think there's no real correlation in terms of the struggles that Chevy has had and the struggles that Toyota had, because Tro- Toyota's version of struggling was not winning other than Martin Truex Jr. until, like, April, I believe it was, or May, but I think we could see something grander in terms of struggle from Hendrick and the uh, Chevy teams. Maybe other than Kyle Larson, he seems to be the exception um, to that rule. But I think it'll be a little while before we see a, uh, a Hendrick or an RCR other than Day- Dylan at Daytona. Obviously, that was also an exception. But I believe it'll be a while before we see a uh, Hendrick or RCR car go to victory lane or go back to victory lane, I suppose. Yeah, they're going to have to step up something somewhere. And pretty quick. I mean, the only other odd, you know, track that they may do something would be Fontana, but I, I don't see that because that there again is a huge downforce track, um, two mile wide open as much. I, I just don't see that right now. I think, yeah, I think I agree with you on that uh, point about Fontana. I think if they do anything, it could be at a short track because there's less rely reliance on the. Uh, on the body and on the arrow. So if they have their setups still dialed in from years past, um, I mean, you think about Gordon and his domination through the years there. If they have something like that, then I think they can be successful at Martinsville or maybe even Bristol. But I think they're going to have to really step it up in terms of uh, their setups on the larger tracks to be able to contend. It, no, I, I completely agree with you. But let's let's talk about the bodies and let's talk about the arrow. Let's talk about a possible roof manipulation by Kevin Harvick. Uh, we've seen the pictures. You've got the article up there on the uncontrolled tire, and you know we've been looking at through those. And uh, yeah, what do you think? I mean, you tell me. I mean, yeah, I wrote the article last night on uh, uncontrolledtire.com. You can check that out. Um, but I think. It was clearly, there's clearly something there. I mean, it's not photoshopped. Look at the race footage yourself. Take a look at the, uh, I, I was watching the fi- final laps that were up on uh, Fox's YouTube channel. You can take a look at that back window and you can see around just to the right of Harvick's name. You can see that there's a little bit of a dip. You can see the H on the uh, bush on the roof there is down. It's a little bit stretched out. There's definitely something there. Whether it was intentional, it's hard to say. You can uh, 
you can argue that something broke on the back. I know that's what uh, I believe Bob Pachris from ESPN was saying. It was just a broken piece, but whether they designed it to break, it's hard to say. Yeah, you're right. You can draw your own conclusion. I know that looking from you know from the article that you posted up there that you know the two back to back pictures that you have one, you know that clearly shows from the Fox, you know telecast where there is something there is a dip there. Um, I will tell you that there is a brace that goes down from from just underneath the roof there that goes to the back um, windows down towards the you know the 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 C pillars um, of the car. Um, for those of you who aren't that don't know what A, B, and C pillars are. The C pillars are the back ends right before it comes into the trunk and to the deck lid um, in the back. So there are braces that go through there. Could there have been a brace that came off? Yeah. Did they manipulate it to make it to where it comes off? I don't know, but it passed OSS inspection, you know, before the race, and it passed uh, uh, post-race inspection afterwards. So, again... I'm not going to say that Rodney Childers and or Kevin Harvick um, did anything deliberately to, you know, make this happen. Um, Rodney Childers is a very smart mind. Um, those of you guys who don't really know, Rodney Childers was a, a former racer himself um, in the late models and then the old Hooters Pro Cup. So he kind of knows exactly what he needs on these cars um, and works hand in hand. And I think that's what's been the you know the saving grace within Stuart Haas within this four cup uh this four team but again I don't know it's it's kind of hard to draw it now when we get to uh Fontana let's see what happens there on another high you know profiled uh track yeah I think if we see uh a bunch of cars with broken uh roof braces there then we'll know that uh there was some intent, or at least there's some advantage to doing it. That is, if NASCAR doesn't come down with a penalty um, later this week, if they do, then teams will be staying far, far away from that and uh, probably cover their roofs in bubble wrap or something. Yeah, I, I think we'll I think we'll find out tomorrow whether or not NASCAR is going to come and you know do something with a penalty on this team. I I think that you know if it is something they have found where. You know, it becomes where that brace flexes, you know, on the mile and a half tracks to add more downforce to that right rear of that car to get that fin, you know, down a little bit. Then I think you're going to see probably 15 to 20 cars trying to go through and, and, and work to try to make it so that uh, that brace flexes upon, you know, air hitting down. So it's something to look forward to, I guess. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what teams can come up with. And if uh, and if NASCAR does come down with the penalty, you know, by by the time you're listening to this, they may have already done. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, by the time we get this out, you know, and, and posted, you know, there may be a penalty come Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening. I very seriously doubt there'll be a penalty just due to the fact that it passed post race inspection. Had there been any you know, any quivering from NASCAR that said that there could be a possible where he didn't pass, I think that would have been out. I think that you would have heard that right away yesterday afternoon uh, via Twitter or, you know, Facebook or any other social media site. I think you would have heard that something, you know, along those lines because it doesn't take much to get that stuff out. And I heard nothing of that other than, as you said, you know, earlier, Bob Pachris made a, uh, you know, a statement that said it was more of a window brace that that probably broke or that came loose 
um, during you know the, the speeds that they had there at Vegas, and then uh, when they got through the post-race inspection, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, I think the only way that NASCAR really can justify coming down with a penalty is if you pull that window brace off and see that somebody like sawed at it or tried to manipulate it in any way that caused it to break easier or that that window brace is not the window brace that NASCAR would uh, tell teams to put on the car. But other than that, I think they can't really justify penalizing Harvick's team. Yep, nope, totally agree with you. I think we're going to have to wait and see, you know, as we get through with that. But I uh, I believe our next little discussion is going to be about uh, the Hall of Fame inductees being selected, or the nominees being selected on Tuesday, um, Tuesday night at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, I do believe it's 5 p.m. Eastern time, and I think what it'll, you know, what it is is that, uh, you know, the uh, the Hall of Fame class gets selected um, tomorrow, March 6th at 5 p.m. So probably by the time you guys are listening to this, that will have already happened. There'll be 20 nominees plus there'll be five nominees for the Landmark Awards, which is more of the outstanding uh, achievements towards towards NASCAR or towards motorsports itself. They load, they throw them in there. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they have on there this year. I don't even know who the nominees could possibly be. I haven't, uh, haven't heard anything. I think I heard something this afternoon about Smokey Eunuch should be on there. Um, you know, should be on that list and he very well may be. Um, there's a whole host of people that could probably be on that list. Yeah, I mean, you're going to probably see a handful of modern day owners that didn't get in in the past. I know, I think Hendrick made it in there uh, last year or two last years ago. Year. Yep. Yeah, yep. last year. Um, and you're probably going to see, like, Penske, probably Childress, um, and a couple other um, owners. You're going to see those late model guys. You always get a good spread between the series. You get the top series, and then you get some of the modified guys and some of the lower series guys that were legends in their own right. Okay, so here's a new one for you. Something we're going to do here. We're talking Hall of Fame. Who? Give me two picks that you would throw in there right now this year that would be on your 2019 nominating, nominations. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, I'm probably going to have to go uh, Roger Penske. I mean, with all his wins in the top series, uh, his one champ, his championship with Kozlowski a few years back, his all of his Xfinity wins, his Xfinity owners championships. It's really hard to deny him a uh, a spot there. And uh, other than that, it gets kind of gets kind of tough because you know they're not just gonna stick with owners. You're, they're not just gonna stick with uh, one thing. But I'm gonna go with another owner. Um, Probably Richard Childress, I'd have to say. Uh, he, I mean, he's had his successes. I mean, you talk about just Dale Earnhardt alone would get an owner into the Hall of Fame. But I think uh, looking beyond that, you got your uh, success from Kevin Harvick and your success from the various other drivers he's hosted rides for through the years, I mean, it's going to be, like Penske, it's going to be hard to deny him that. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that if I had to pick two people that I think that should go into the Hall of Fame, and I think I just said it a couple seconds ago here with Smokey Eunuch. So I heard an interesting stat today that from 1956 to 1969, I believe it was, he ran a total of 78, you know, what is now today the Monster Energy Cup Series. Um, you know, with the most of racing, I think, 16 races in one season. But during that, he had nine wins. That's 12%. That's, that's kind of high. Um, I think that, you know, that would be one of my votes. I think the second vote would be is if we have current owners and things like that, I would think adding Joe Gibbs right away. I mean, if you think of the, the guys that he had that have raced for him over the years since he's been, you know, within NASCAR, you're talking Dale Jarrett, you're talking Bobby Labonte, um, you know, you're talking Tony Stewart. Um, you, you, just the, the guys that have actually come into that organization and, and, and made Joe Gibbs Racing what it is today, Joe Gibbs, I would think, would be a shoe-in uh, into, this, into this 2019 class. Um, he's, very, he, he's, he's very inspirational. He brings the best out of the guys. I mean, I think if, if Kyle Busch would have stayed with Hendrick Motorsports, you wouldn't have seen what what he's capable of. I think him coming over to uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, I think, was one of the smartest things that Kyle Busch and Joe Gibbs, and even J.D. Gibbs, with that to help bring him over, was one of the smartest things, I think, that that they've ever done as an organization. Um, uh, Again, you talk about Joey Logano's been with that. Eric Amarola was with that organization. Eric was one of the first guys that Joe Gibbs ever signed. Um, you know, again, bringing Denny Hamlin and a lot of guys don't know that, you know, that story behind the scenes, but, you know, Denny Hamlin and his family was on their last race ever. They were never going to race again. He was going to be completely out of it. Um, and his race, his owner in the late model series, Jim Dean made a phone call to Joe Gibbs and have him take a look at this guy. And sure enough, I guess you could say the rest is history. So my vote would be for Smokey Eunuch based off the percentage of wins, based off the number of races that he did. Um, and then uh, my vote would be for Joe Gibbs. Yeah. Um, actually, I uh, took Richard Childress. He's, he went in with the class of 2017, Okay. it turns out. So I was just... I, said it and well, i was just, like well, I'm let's not just vote sure. him in again let's yeah. just vote him in again what the heck yeah i mean seven championships will do that for a guy <laughs> but uh but i think if i had to choose somebody else it it's a little tough i'm i've only been a fan for what about seven years now so it's hard to uh reach back into the history books for me but uh uh, we have to show you the ground, Grasshopper. Yeah. Yeah. Seven years isn't enough. I'm going to have to really reach into the, uh, reach into the depths of the, uh, of the history of everything here. All right. Well, now that we've made our Hall of Fame picks between the both of us, let's jump into something else new that we have after uh, show number one. And that's where we're going to pick a pick for the following week. So this week we're going to have picks for Phoenix. So I'll let you go first. Um, so my pick is somebody who's definitely uh, shown what he can do so far this year. It's not Danica Patrick, as I said, he. As if Danica's actually in this race. <laughs> uh, but 
it's uh, Kyle Busch. I think he can uh, he can bring Toyota back to victory lane here very shortly, and I think he'll uh, he'll really uh, show them that Toyota is still here and they're not going to be brought down by Ford. Yeah, I I, I I kind of agree with you there. I think we'll see what he does with uh, you know at Phoenix. But my pick this week, and I think what we'll do is we'll change these these dynamics as more shows that we do, is where you're only allowed to pick the driver one time. So you've got to figure out <laughs> of all the guys that show up, you only get to pick them one time. That would make course. it a that would and make we'll it a little bit who, tougher. We'll see who has the most points at the end of the year. All right. So my pick right now is going to be actually for Phoenix is going to be Eric Jones. So I think Eric is a short track. I think he's one of the short track specialists. He runs well there. That team, the 20 team at Joe Gibbs has always run well at Phoenix. So I think that I think I'm going with Eric Jones this week. Yeah, I definitely think uh, he's been really strong at Phoenix. I mean, I know his first truck when I think back in... 2014 was at Phoenix. Uh, yeah, he finished first. Or actually, that was 2013. Um, I believe that at that point he was part time, and then he won again in 2014. Same uh, same weekend, I believe, and he got wins at Iowa twice as well. So I think he's strong at those short tracks, at least in the truck series, and I think he'll bring that up. To the uh, to the Cup Series, given he's already run a year with uh, Furniture Row. Yeah, I think that you know again, Eric Jones is just you know he's just going to have a, a you know the next couple of weeks within the next month, month and a half. I think he's coming to tracks that he has done very well, not only on the Xfinity side but even in the Cup side. You know, with Furniture Row back last year. You know, regarding Phoenix, I think he'll do well at, at Fontana, so I won't be able to use him there. I think he's going to run well at Richmond. I won't be able to use him there. <laughs> so I'm going to pick him now, and we'll make some other picks, you know, as we go through and we get uh, we get through these shows. Yeah, I have. Uh, I did a whole season of picking guys, uh, picking the winner of each race uh, during, like, the first month of the off season, and I think I had Jones winning at Bristol in August. Uh, I think he dominated there, uh, or at least ran well um, last year in that 77 car. wasn't able to take home the victory, but I think in that 20 car, he'll start to really show what he's worth. I think uh, he'll definitely tear it up. And uh, but I've been, <laughs> I've certainly been wrong before. I wouldn't be surprised to see it again. Nah. Well, this is the first pick, so. We, you know, you, you've still got 30-some more weeks to go here. Yeah. Yeah, we got plenty of weeks uh, left in the season, that's for sure. It's early. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up about tonight. Yeah, I believe it does. So we'll, uh, we'll see you next week on the Uncontrolled Tire Podcast. Everybody have a good week, and uh, we'll see you after Phoenix. Take care, everybody. Yeah, bye.